Chip woke early and ate noodle soup for breakfast in the hotel cafe before walking over the hill to the majestic site of the Detian waterfall. He knew it by its Vietnamese name, Tac Ban Zop, as he had visited it once before on the opposite side. The water from the Detian crashed over the multi-layered peaks, cascading out like overflowing springs that, which shot up from the lush green vegetation sprouting throughout the landscape. The combination of greenery and water created a stunning backdrop, the most beautiful country borderline in the world, at least this side of Niagara Falls. Both Vietnam and China, naturally, claimed the waterfall to be their own. So the pool and the streams which started at the bottom of the wide falls becomes, in essence, international water. The Vietnamese side looked barren, with no development except a small cement guardhouse 100 meters up the embankment to the left. Chip sat and watched the scene all morning. The guardhouse never stirred, and no more than a half dozen people from the Vietnamese side descended the bank to look over the falls. The Chinese side, in contrast, buzzed with excitement. Dozens of camera-crazy tourists descended the slope and paid a small fee to board a makeshift raft, which took them across the open pool and landed them on the Vietnamese side. They splashed in the water, took pictures, and caught the next raft back to China. Nobody seemed to care about their international infractions. So Chip hoped he had found a way across, but he knew he couldn't exit to the left by the guardhouse, and only hoped another way would reveal itself. Border Crossings, up next on the Crossing Ideas Podcast. Welcome to the Crossing Ideas Podcast, I'm Mark Sassy. Episode 6, The Waterfall, A Trip to the Chinese-Vietnamese Border. What you had just heard was an excerpt from my novel, The Reach of the Banyan Tree. It's an elaborate tale of cross-cultural love and understanding where Chip, being denied a visa to return to Vietnam to attempt to win back the girl he loves, decided to try and sneak across the border undetected at this amazing waterfall. Now, you can check out this novel and all my novels at www.mwsassy.com. That's M-W-Sassy, S-A-S-S-E dot com. In real life, it wouldn't have been so easy for Chip to get across that border. I found that out when I visited the Majestic Falls on an unforgettable trip to Kaobung Province circa 2001. This trip, which I'll get to in a minute, helped me to better understand the idea of international borders, what they mean, and how they should be preserved. So in today's episode, I'm going to explore a few angles related to international borders. Now, obviously, country borders have played a big part in the news narrative, especially in the United States, over the past few decades. We might be misled to think that it's a new issue in the U.S., you know, since Trump and the, I'm going to make Mexico pay for the wall. And then more recently, you had the Arizona welding containers on top of each other and to extend the southern wall. And then you had the Biden administration insisting that they take the containers down. You know, this this back and forth kind of thing, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. This has been going on for 40 years or more. 
you go back to the Reagan administration, then Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, all of them talked incessantly about the border and how we needed to secure the border. And one year, it's we're, we might look at amnesty for those who have crossed. And then they're like, no, we need to secure the border more. And, and then coming out of all of that, there's this rhetoric and this ever-morphing vocabulary. You know, you, we've heard the terms like, you put people in cages and things like that. And then you have this vocabulary that changes. You had terms like illegal immigrant. And then, then no, it's migrant. Okay, then alien, then undocumented worker. No, non-citizens. All of it is 100% political theater. It's been that way for decades as the U.S. border, in particular, has become a political weapon. One last thing before I get to my border story. I used to teach U.S. history and American government. Now, our republic, the United States, is one of enumerated powers. That means the powers given to the federal government are specifically spelled out in the Constitution. They are enumerated. They are listed clearly. Those are the powers that the government has. There is also what's called implied powers. Implied powers are those which, are, which can be reasonably implied that a government should have based upon certain clauses in the Constitution. Now, we could get into a whole other episode of how that, the implied powers, has just become extremely bloated over the years, but we, we'll, we'll stick to our task for today. And then lastly, you have what's called inherent powers. Inherent powers are those that every country, every nation has inherent powers simply by the fact that they are a sovereign nation. And you guessed it. One of the most basic inherent powers that a government has is the border, keeping the border secure, the integrity of the border. Now, you can have a robust immigration policy while at the same time securing the border. So when a country has a laughable immigration policy and a porous border for more than 40 years, it's easy to see who is to blame. In the United States, that body is Congress, failing to act decisively on all the important issues related to the border. And it's all because of politics. Politics has taken precedence over the most basic inherent power that every sovereign nation has. What other country in the world would have tolerated this type of chaos at the border for more than 40 years. None. They had heard about the waterfall from many of my students, including a few who were from the remote mountainous province of Kaobang, which bordered China. What a great name, Kaobang. I'm from Kaobang. Can you imagine? And you must visit Kaobang, actually. It's stunning, really. The mountains, the terraced rice fields. Okay, we'll get to that. But, but the trip, the trip. There were four of us going on this trip, and we had two motorbikes between us. Now, these were not motorcycles. These were motorbikes heading up into <laughs> this, these, the big mountainous areas, but oh well. Mine was a 110 Honda, okay? Small little motorbikes. We left uh, Tainguin. Now, Tainguin is 60 miles north of Hanoi, so that was our starting point. Early in the morning, we headed out. Now, before I left, I had asked my school where I was teaching, 
who was the sponsoring, my sponsoring body in Vietnam, I wanted a letter of introduction from them because we were told we couldn't get to the waterfall without a permit. And we couldn't get a permit without some sort of proof of who we were and what we were doing there in Vietnam because there weren't many foreigners going to Cao Bang. So I went to see Chi Lien. Now, you, you, you met her in a, a few of our previous episodes. And she wrote out a letter of introduction, you know, something like, this is Mark Sassy, a teacher at the Tainguyen Teachers Training University. On his day off, he would like to visit the Banzop Waterfall. Please permit him to, etc., etc., etc. So we got the letter of introduction in hand. We took off. We just headed north. Now, this is before GPS. We got no Google Maps telling us where to go, where to turn. We just got this rustic map telling us head north. And we head into this breathtaking scenery. Northern Vietnam has some of the most compelling mountains and scenery I've ever experienced. These terraced rice fields, winding narrow roads. We would stop at these peaks and just gawk out over these vistas. You know, we probably stopped not only to see this, this incredible scenery, but also to give our little bikes a break because we were, we were definitely pushing it. And we were giving our butts a break too. I mean, there were two of us on the small bike, so it was quite uncomfortable hour after hour. And you know, what were we really even thinking going on this trip with these little bikes? But anyways, who cares? It was awesome. After several hours squished on the motorbikes, we, we pull into the sleepy little town of Kaobang, the provincial capital. Eyes. Eyes staring at us from all sides. They've never seen a contingent of foreigners like this driving in motorbikes into the town. Very strange. We find the permit office. Again, if I didn't speak the language, we would have been lost completely. But language opens doors. And so we get into there. We talk to the people there. We get the stamp. The ever-important chop in Vietnam. You always need that chop on your document, that bright red ink stamp on your document. But once you get that, you're golden. So then we, uh, you know, we were hungry. We stopped at a small restaurant. And again, oh, the stairs. We might as well have been aliens. People just looking at us eating our noodles. It was, it was great. A lot of fun. We take off towards the waterfall. We had to go through a checkpoint, but we had the permit, we had the language, they smiled and let us through. Probably never seeing anything like us in that part before. So we finally get to the waterfall. We pulled in, pulled off the little road that we were on. We stopped the motorbikes, get off. No one else was there. No one. Uh, down a little ways, there was a there was a guardhouse, small guardhouse, and uh, we could see the waterfall in the distance off to our off to our left, and it was way down below, and it was just amazing. And we wanted to wanted to get a closer look. We wanted to go down the hill and and be at the water level, but we had a guardhouse to deal with first, and so we started towards it. Four foreigners, completely out of place, and out steps this young Vietnamese soldier, pistol at his side. He looked stern, but I could tell he was nervous. Four foreign objects headed his way. Uh, the, the, what we call it? The UWO, Unidentified Walking Objects. 
tall white guy not seen in these parts perhaps ever. There was no way in the world he knew a lick of English. And I could just imagine him thinking, what am I going to say to these guys? What am I going to say to these UWOs? What am I going to tell them? How am I going to tell them to leave? I do have a pistol. Okay, that, that's just me conjecturing a little bit. But as we approached, I said to him in Vietnamese, Excuse me. Hello, sir. We have come to see the beautiful waterfall. Did his ears play tricks on him? That big white guy spoke in Vietnamese, and then a big grin comes across his face, and he relaxes. And I introduced everyone to him, and we shook hands, and we chatted with the young man, who was now at ease. Now, I wish you could see the backdrop of our scene. We were about 100 feet up from the water level. Behind him was a gully. On the other side of the gully was China. The Chinese side had a hotel off to the right and many tourists flocking down to the water. Just like in the description from the book at the beginning of the podcast. To our left was the waterfall. It wasn't one waterfall. It was many spread out on several different levels and spanning a large area with lush vegetation hanging off the cliffs and the white caps of the water pouring down beside them. Stunning. Just most gorgeous. We loved the view from where we were, but we wanted to go closer. So eventually I asked the armed border patrol agent, can we go down closer to the waterfall? He replied, yes, but don't touch the water or I'll have to arrest you. Okay, clear instructions. I said, okay, we will not dip our toes in the water. This, of course, is a disputed border, both sides claiming the falls for their own. Naturally, there would be a lot of potential commercialization which could happen there. And I, I can only imagine what it might look like today, 20 years later. I, I have, I, honestly, I have no idea how much it has changed. But we were lucky to see it before any of that. Yes, the Chinese did have a raft business, and there was a hotel on the hill, but there was not a Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, at least not yet. The Vietnamese side had zero development, unless you wanted to include that four-by-four four cement shack of a guardhouse. So with permit in hand and a warning with teeth and consequences in our minds, we descended to the water with its mesmerizing layers with vibrant green sticking out amongst the rock outcrops. Why would it have been such a crime if I dipped my toe into the water? You know, what's the big deal? What, what could it have hurt? You know, if I had gotten onto the raft with a group of rowdy Chinese and I sang a little song with them as I touched the soil of the People's Republic of China, who would it have hurt? Well, it's not a who, it's a what. And the what is the inherent powers of a sovereign nation. And really, any illegal border incursion weakens everything. It weakens the resolve of those attempting to emigrate legally. It weakens the belief of those immigrants who went through the correct channels. It weakens the laws that protect the citizens against criminal activity. It weakens our leaders. It weakens our belief in government to rule effectively. Weak borders weaken a nation. 
And while I wouldn't have liked to have been arrested if I had dipped my toe in the water, I would have understood the inherent powers of government which were being wielded. We walked along the shoreline of the Vietnamese side. We took myriad photos of, from every angle possible. We watched raft after raft of Chinese tourists frolic in the stream of the mighty waterfall. Finally, with our curiosity satiated, we ascended the hill with the tips of our feet still dry, never once incurring ourselves into Chinese territory. You know, in my novel, The Reach of the Banyan Tree, Chip made it across and found himself a motorcycle to ride back to Tynwin to try to get his girl back. You know, I won't spoil it for you, but my books don't always have happy endings. They have, I hope, realistic endings. Our ending of our trip was happy, though. I left Kaobong with beauty in my eyes and a stronger understanding of how important that border between China and Vietnam really is. You see, there was a long, long history of struggles between them. It wasn't that long ago that China forced its way over the border once again. Just 1979. That's recent history. So there's a sense that the integrity of the border involves the integrity of a country's sovereignty. The Vietnamese aren't going to allow any incursion into their land to weaken them. You know, a few harmless Chinese tourists on a raft notwithstanding. Well, what does this all mean for the U.S. southern border, which continues to be a political hot potato? Well, I don't expect to get anything new out of Washington. The chaos at the border simply reflects the chaos in our country's leadership. And I don't expect the political theater to end anytime soon. If you're going to visit one border, I highly recommend the waterfall between China and Vietnam. It's not easy to get to. It's in the province of Kaobang, in the northern Vietnamese mountains, but it's well worth it. And personally, I'd stay away from that other border crossing until we see some real progress in Washington. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Not, definitely not like that young guard who was holding his breath as I approached him at the border. I'm Mark Sassy. Thanks for listening to the Crossing Ideas podcast. Coming up in Episode 7, Language Learning, a.k.a. The Day I Ordered Food Successfully. That's up next on the Crossing Ideas podcast. Please remember to click and subscribe. I'd love to hear your comments. And once again, thanks for listening.